everyone, and welcome to episode 58 of the Hydrogen Nowcast for August 5th, 2022. The Hydrogen Nowcast is sponsored by New Day Hydrogen, who's helping fleet owners meet their zero emission vehicle needs. If you're with a fleet or transit operator, and your fleet is wondering how to convert to zero emission vehicles but still meet your operational needs, New Day Hydrogen can give you the option of fuel cell vehicles by providing public hydrogen fuel stations near you and showing you the available fuel cell trucks, vans, and buses. To find out more information about both vehicles and fueling, visit the NewDayHydrogen.com website, or you can also submit requests on the contact page. Well, today on the podcast, we're going to talk about a unique pyrolysis device to convert natural gas or biogas to hydrogen and solid carbon at the point of use. And the company that produces this device is Modern Electron. And here to tell us about the device and the company, we have two guests today. The first is Motusi Paul, who's the Vice President of Business Development. Motusi, welcome to the show. Brian, great to be here. Thanks for having us. Oh, happy to have you, Motusi. Our second guest is Max Mankin, who's the Chief Technical Officer and one of the founders of Modern Electron. Max, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. Well, we really appreciate the time of both of you to, to join us today. And I, you know, I think probably a good place to start is to give the listeners a top-level description of the pyrolysis device. Max, do you want to start by describing it for us and telling us about the inputs and the outputs and the hydrogen capacity? Of course. So methane pyrolysis is a process that splits natural gas or biogas into hydrogen and solid carbon. So you can think of a pyrolysis device effectively as a box where natural gas or biogas, some source of methane, goes in and the outputs are just hydrogen, solid carbon, and some water vapor. And what's really important here is with pyrolysis, you don't have CO2, uh, a greenhouse gas, as your output. So in terms of hydrogen capacity, one of the things that we're looking at is actually scalability. So we're developing devices that scale all the way from home scale, so kilograms of hydrogen per day, up through much larger scales for industrial and commercial and grid blending applications at tons per day. Boy, that sounds really exciting. Now, could you maybe describe what these physically look like? I know, Motusi, when you and I talked, uh, I think you'd mentioned maybe dishwasher size for home use, but uh, what do these boxes look like? So a typical box will simply be an enclosure. At a larger scale, you might think of it like a shipping container or an ISO container that kind of gets situated next to, say, a factory or, or an industrial plant. And the footprint, of course, scales with, with size. Yeah, Brian, I think to your earlier comment there, that on the front end, the first generation devices that we're deploying are... Uh, roughly the footprint of a residential dishwasher. But to Max's point, this is readily scalable to our individual customer applications. So it could be something that goes up to the size of a shipping container. It could be something that's the size of a dining room table. It really depends on the application. Okay, good. All right. Thanks, Matusi. Well, Max, you mentioned that one of the outputs is carbon black. And for the listeners, uh, there really are quite a few uses for carbon black in industry, things like additives to plastics and tires, and it makes a really good soil amendment and things like that. Max, is the carbon a useful value stream for these pyrolysis generators? Yeah. So carbon black, you can think of as effectively black powdered sugar. So it's like a powder you can hold in your hand. 
And the carbon black that comes out of our generator actually is a useful value stream. What is important for us in our particular business case is our unit economics don't actually depend on it to make it a competitive hydrogen generator. But uh, yeah, the carbon black can be used for things like tires and asphalt for roads, uh, as well as soil amendment. Yeah, I know there's a whole movement these days talking about something called biochar, which is basically taking biological material plant life or garbage or whatever, and turning that into carbon, which is turns out to be a really good way to sequester carbon in the uh, in the soil that stays there for thousands of years. And it's also very good for the plants. Yeah, exciting to think about that use. So Matusi, why don't we turn back to you maybe for some thoughts about the applications and uses of this device? I mean, obviously it creates hydrogen, so it could be used for burning hydrogen, for vehicle fueling, for industrial processes and so forth. Let's talk a little bit about some of the intended markets and how how the device will be used. Absolutely. So we have always been focused on decarbonizing uh, heat and power. On the front end, we're prioritizing process heat and environmental space heating. And those applications are industrial, commercial, and residential in nature. But really, the most active spaces for us today uh, on the front end are definitely local gas utilities, and industrial operators. And the most common applications for those LDCs or for those local distribution companies is around helping their customers to decarbonize industrial process heat loads. And second to that would be high-density space heating. Well, I find that really intriguing because I personally believe that home and building heating is one of the most difficult areas to decarbonize. And that's mainly because you've got so much infrastructure that's out there that's individually owned and trying to convert that. So I could see that this device would really help that. So Matuzi, uh, tell us why you and Max think what you're doing is so exciting. You know, fundamentally, we're really changing the way that people think about tackling decarbonization. And the idea that it doesn't have to be a comprehensive systemic overhaul of everything you currently have at your business site or at your home is really revolutionary. It makes the path to decarbonization a lot easier. And it also means that end users, you know, businesses or homeowners can move a lot faster. And then kind of technically on the ground in terms of operations and engineering by eliminating the supply chain risk and the hassle that's typically associated with clean hydrogen, we really believe that we're making decarbonization easier and more accessible. And I think that's why the scale of the interest that we're seeing from gas utility companies and the speed at which these gas utilities are moving is pretty remarkable. So on the front end, a a large chunk of our early adopter customers are gas utilities, and they don't really have a reputation for being early adopters of much of anything. But in this case, I think they understand the challenges associated with heating, and they see this as a really interesting new arrow in their quiver. And this gives them visibility on a future state that has a really low CI score in contrast to their legacy business. Well, I absolutely agree. And, and you know, you touched on something that I've brought up many times on this podcast, and that is that we are in an energy transition. And yes, we'd like to just completely abandon all the carbon producing devices out there and switch to totally green. But we have to acknowledge that there's a lot of infrastructure out there. And if there's a, a step that gets us 
95% of the way or 98% of the way to decarbonization, that's better than nothing at all. And yep. I, I certainly see that here. Are there some other uses for hydrogen other than just heating and vehicles? I mean, what about maybe in some industrial processes that actually use hydrogen as a, a source of uh, some of their processes? Absolutely. So before we switch over to the industrial hydrogen, actually, I think Max will be the better one to take the industrial hydrogen point. But you made a comment here that I think is worth um, unpacking a little bit more, that philosophically, the priority needs to be about decarbonization. And it needs to be about accelerated decarbonization, not about a particular methodology or a particular technological bias. So in our minds, the really fundamentally important idea here is that to your point about this bigger picture, the bigger picture move away from carbon intense activities, for example, burning fossil fuels, we're absolutely on board and, you know, huge advocates for that. But we can't stand around and wait a decade or two decades or three decades for a mass electrification of heating to come online or mass availability of green hydrogen to come online. We want that state and we think that more investment needs to be made to make those things happen. But in the meantime, we can't sit around and wait for decarbonization to come, you know, in the 2030s or 2040s. We have to help make that happen now. And the easiest way to do that and the most cost effective way to do that and the fastest way to do that is to leverage natural gas infrastructure that's already in the ground. Max, do you want to add anything about industrial? Yeah, the industrial uses of hydrogen typically are at very large scales. So think ammonia plants, uh, steel processing, or at refineries. For modern electron, the technology works at those scales. I think where we have a somewhat unique competitive advantage is actually at smaller scales. So that hasn't been our primary focus. But the hydrogen uh, that's that's used there is certainly viable and works just fine for industrial processes in addition to process and space heating as well as transportation. Brian, I think Max brings up a you know really good point there that some of the really takeaway ideas here that modern electron technology delivers decentralized clean hydrogen with no new pipes, no transportation, no hydrogen storage, and an extremely low CI score. So effectively, from the perspective of an industrial operator or from the perspective of gas utility, this is a really easy switch from natural gas because we're not impacting their existing processes. Okay, fantastic. I love the way you kind of summed that up. At some point, we're going to give the listeners the uh, the Modern Electron website, which is just modernelectron.com. And I guess we have to warn the listeners that pyrolysis device is not on the website. Do, do you actually have a name for this? or? Um... And, actually, and actually, Brian, we have our hydrogen website is launching on Monday of uh, this, this coming week. So modernhydrogen.com will be the primary point of contact for your for your listeners. Okay. All right. So the Monday you're speaking about is July 18th, and this podcast will actually air on the 22nd, I think. So listeners, you'll be able to go to modernelectron.com and find out information about the pyrolysis device, correct? That is correct. You can access that through modernelectron.com or go directly to the product page at modernhydrogen.com. Okay. All right. Very good. All right. So I think this is a good segue to talk about the company and the people and kind of the origin story. And Max, I know you're one of the founders. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? 
So Modern Electron was founded back in 2015. And at that time, my co-founder and I were entrepreneurs in residence at a deep tech incubator in the Seattle, Washington area. And the incubator was really cool. Their focus was on some of the hardest societal problems, and they recruited entrepreneurs in residence to tackle these problems using deep technology. So not really kind of software stuff. Like they, they were after real hardware breakthroughs. And we were focused primarily on decarbonizing heat. And the reason is because heat ends up being about 50% of final energy demand. And, you know, even back when we were looking at this in 2014, and the statistic isn't particularly different right now, 80% of our electricity comes directly from heat. And so, you know, we, we were really looking at ways to both improve lower costs and uh, decarbonize the generation and use of heat. And so at the time, we evaluated a whole bunch of technologies and market segments, came up with some initial proposals, built some initial prototypes, validated that at least the physics worked to first order, and then spun the company out of the incubator. And it was at that time that we raised our first seed round effectively from Bill Gates. Um, and he's been an ardent backer of this technology ever since. Fantastic. That's an exciting story. So today we're 55 people and we are working on two technologies. Uh, you can find both on our website. The hydrogen is the newer one. And our team has about 15 PhDs, a whole bunch of engineers, scientists, technicians, and Matusi leads our business group. And uh, we're always on the hunt for really good talent. So if you're, if you're interested in this sort of thing and you have a technology or engineering or business background here, please reach out. Okay, fantastic. Well, that's exciting that Bill Gates is behind it, not only because of the money, but also just the um, level of visibility I think that raises. So kudos to you for that. Well, one of the questions that always comes up in this changing space of hydrogen is regulations. And a lot of times we need some new things to help or we need changes to existing things. Uh, is Modern Electron really thinking about the regulatory space as it relates to hydrogen? Yeah, we're paying very close attention to the hydrogen regulatory space. So I think there are really kind of two elements to the regulatory space. One tends to be a little bit more practical, which is codes around how you design these devices and how you install them. Hydrogen is very safe when it's produced and used the right way. And those codes actually, it turns out, already exist, which is great. So uh, our devices follow what's called a class one div two enclosure code for hydrogen producing and using devices. And that, that tends to be pretty standard. So, you know, no matter what you're doing with hydrogen, if you're using it in a fuel cell, producing it with an SMR, the same codes apply. And so those apply to, to our devices as well. In the bigger picture, one of the things that we're paying very close attention to, of course, is the incentive picture for hydrogen production, hydrogen use, as well as more blanket decarbonization. And one of the points that Matusi brought up earlier, I think is worth echoing here, the focus for upcoming regulation should really be on decarbonization and eliminating CO2 emissions, regardless of what the technology is, regardless of what the fuel source is. And I think that's a really important message that we're trying to echo for people who are influencing these regulations. 
I would also add that, you know, we think that there's a lot of energy right now in the regulatory space for incentivizing hydrogen production and use. This was a big part of the Build Back Better bill, which as of yet has not passed in its originally envisioned form. But we were pretty excited about that and excited about some of the other things coming down the pipeline. Okay, thanks, Max. Well, you mentioned hydrogen safety, and maybe I'll take this opportunity to get on my safety soapbox for a second and say once again, as I've said before on this podcast, hydrogen, when you compare it to natural gas or gasoline or diesel or some of the other fuels, actually is safer. And there's a couple of reasons for that. Hydrogen tends to expand very quickly. The molecules tend to repel themselves. And it's also because it's so light it rises very quickly. I once heard, I think this is correct, that hydrogen will rise at about 40 miles an hour. So it's difficult to keep enough in a confined space to become very dangerous. Now, that being said, it is odorless, colorless, and so forth. So you won't notice if there is a leak, but there's devices out there that can detect hydrogen. There's tapes that turn color in the presence of hydrogen. So when we start talking about hydrogen in the home, I think people need to think that it really is safer in many ways than natural gas, which many of us have in our homes. So just as an aside to talk about safety. So Brian, I I think you raised some really good points. And you're right that hydrogen does have its challenges. But the good news is that there are established norms and hydrogen is used today extremely widely and very safely everywhere. And those established norms, when followed, Uh, and engineered into into devices that both produce and use hydrogen ensure safe use and operation. And that's a number one priority for us too, as we're in this ecosystem. We certainly don't want to be the poster child for any issues. And we want our customers to, to know that they're getting a safe product. And if I might make an ad there too, Brian, on the, on the safety front, one of the things that we are finding over and over again, especially on the industrial process side, is that a lot of these industrial operators already use hydrogen. They get it delivered on a regular basis. They're using it for process applications. They're using it for chemistry applications. And what we are introducing is a shift in thinking that now they can economically use hydrogen in their heating and power applications as well, where they didn't do that before because it was too expensive. So it's interesting that there's already a level of understanding. It's been a functional limit because of an economic requirement, not uh, so much a safety requirement. Motusi and Max, is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you'd like to talk about or maybe some ideas that have occurred to you while we're talking here? I think one one thing that really stands out in mind, uh, and we've referenced it kind of tangentially a number of times here, but really directly that we as a community, I think both as a hydrogen community, as a clean energy community, as a decarbonization community, need to prioritize what is near-term and actionable. And I think we get into a lot of heated debates about, you know, which method is going to be the best and end up, you know, indefinitely fighting over what thing is going to be the best rather than to Max's earlier point that we have to decarbonize now and let's not wait for the next best thing. Let's, let's do what, what is good, good for the planet, what's good for the community. And we have to do it now. 
I absolutely agree. And of course, that's why the name of this podcast is the Hydrogen Now cast, because we need it now. And to try to pick a winner at this point is just a fool's errand, I think. We can't decide what's best. We've got to start getting things out there and letting the market decide. Mac, is there anything you wanted to add? Yeah. So I think we also touched on this a little bit earlier, but one of the big things that I'm super excited about is hydrogen production gets a lot of attention right now. People are talking about the hydrogen rainbow. Do we use gray or blue or green hydrogen? And hydrogen use gets a lot of attention right now. Are we going to use it for power production, for space or industrial process heating, for transportation? I think a really underserved area right now is actually hydrogen storage and compression and transportation. And one of the things that I'm, I'm really excited about with the idea of on-site production is that you just totally sidestep storage and transportation and distribution And there's no central infrastructure to do that right now. So kind of going on this theme of what can we do now, avoiding that requirement for any major infrastructure overhaul, I think is probably a really good investment thesis, uh, or in general, just kind of new technology thesis or new product thesis for anyone working in the clean tech space, even beyond hydrogen. Well, you know, Max, I absolutely agree. We have been through a period of a hundred and some years of very centralized energy production, whether it's electricity or fossil fuels. And I really believe myself that in the future, it's going to be much more distributed. And partly it's because hydrogen is difficult to move and store, but then also it could make a lot more sense and be a lot more economical. So I think I agree absolutely with what you're saying. Yeah. And you know the, the other element of that too is kind of on the flip side of the electricity grid. When you really think about it, solar and wind are inherently distributed assets. And they're the assets that are growing the fastest on the electricity grid. And so I think even in the traditionally green energy, renewable energy sectors like solar and wind, we're actually seeing a bit more of a shift to distributed generation as well, along with microgrids. And so I think that that's that's a trend that will probably continue and extend out to other sectors. Very good. All right. Thank you. Well, uh, to kind of close us out here, uh, Matusi and Max, if the listeners want to reach out to you, why don't you tell us uh, the best way to connect, whether it's an email or LinkedIn or whatever. And then also, please give us those website addresses again. Yes. So your listeners can find us at modernhydrogen.com. They can find us on LinkedIn. You can email us. Two email options. First is just info at modernhydrogen.com. And second option would be um, email at uh, hydrogen at modernelectron.com. So LinkedIn website or info at modernhydrogen.com or hydrogen at modernelectron.com. Okay, great. Well, thank you both again for your time to be here today. I'm really enthused about this technology. Um, I hope we start seeing these in different places very soon. So why don't we close out with that? And I'll just say, listeners, if you enjoy listening to the Hydrogen Nowcast, please consider subscribing to the podcast and also give us a rating in your podcast app. A good rating helps us be discovered by other people. And of course, word of mouth recommendations are really important. So consider letting people in your own network know about the Hydrogen Nowcast. So again, I'd like to thank New Day Hydrogen for sponsoring the Hydrogen Nowcast. New Day Hydrogen's working to build out and deploy hydrogen infrastructure to enable any of us to convert to zero emission vehicles. And if you'd like to contact me, I'm always happy to hear from you. You can reach me through the website at colorado-hydrogen.org or find me on LinkedIn. 
So until next time, this is Brian DeBruin wishing you health and prosperity. Goodbye.